Hey, with Christina Hewlin, uh, Everybody's Fine is the short film play at the LGBTQ plus film festival. It's a film about PTSD, about trauma and survivor's guilt, I guess, right? This, this, this one, the character that you have. It's so funny that I've been doing this for a long time and I've, I haven't seen these, these types of stories in terms of someone mass shooting like a uh, trauma. And this is the second uh, interview uh, I've had this month, the second film that we've showcased this month about similar subject. They're both amazing films. I'm glad to talk to you, but obviously there's something here. There's something that, that, that people are finally, this is a film that people are finally talking about. That's my two cents, but so they, they good to have you. Uh, thank you. Great to be here. So tell me about the, this. You, you said in your bio that this is a personal, this is a very personal uh, film for you. Yeah, I, it came out of me wanting to discuss PTSD because I suffered from PTSD and uh, wanting to write about it, but not really write my own experience. So this yeah. became the, the channel. It was interesting. I was in a conversation um, with the lead actress, Charlotte Rothwell, about we wanted to do a project together and I wanted to write something about PTSD. And while we were talking, a mass shooting happened and it came over the news. So, and I had, you know, not been in a, a bad situation like that. I've been in a, I worked for a school and I was in a lockdown with a potential shooter on campus. It turned out to be okay, but uh, yeah, I spent two hours locked in an office wondering if I was going to live that day. So um, I do have that mild experience with it, but um it just seemed like it was happening every single day. In fact, it does happen every single day. We have a mass shooting in the US. So I really wanted to look at the PTSD side of it and what happens after those cameras go away to, to people's lives because it, it is so prevalent that people don't talk about the aftermath. 100%. Well, I think that I, uh, you get you get like kind of the macro kind of conversation, I guess, right? About like gun control, about why is this happening? But then they, but I think what changes people is, is, uh, is stories like this, like the, and I know, I know that's probably not your attention. You're just telling the story, but I think what changes people's minds about like what happens is the kind of like individual story about like the, the after effects is it's the same analogy as, as, as war. It's like somebody sees a lot of people, the, the love, their, their, their community, their, like in this case, the teacher everybody die except for her like how do you how do you live how do you keep how do you move on from that how do you how do you like you know like you you like get to live every day and you kind of alluded in your film too where like it's not just her it's everybody around her orbit I guess too right correct I mean and I really that was the central focus of the film was to you know create empathy through understanding people make more of a human connection with a character rather than there's been so many films about the shooter and why yeah. they did it and their parents or whatever but it's like let's look at someone who survived it and maybe put you know allow people to be in their shoes for a moment and it's not just a survivor it is their family it affects their marriages or their children or their parents or their communities as a whole i mean even as a um you know, as a country, we can look at, I know I have changed the, the, the way I am in certain locations. Like after um, Aurora, like I don't walk into a movie theater. I mean, the first thing I do when I walk into a movie theater is I look, where are the exits? Like it's just subconscious now. It's now ingrained um, that I think of things differently when I walk into places because you just never know. But I did want to create that um hopefully create that empathy and allow people to maybe see it from a different perspective.
you're you're referencing the Aurora, Colorado, the suburbia Correct. outside of Denver, the mass shooting during I think the Dark Knight Rises. I think was that 2012, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't tell you the year, but yes, that's yeah. the I think it was 2012. It was so they basically that was just you know people going to the movies, right? Yeah. And then, and we'd had Columbine before that, but uh, uh, then it seemed more rare. It was like, oh my God, this thing has happened. And now it's, you know, yeah. it doesn't get reported every day, but there is a mass shooting every single day in this country. We've had over 340 mass shootings this year already. I remember Columbine. I was old enough to remember, yeah. and it was like yeah. a shock to my to my system. And then now I never, I think you always figured that, okay, like certain countries, I'm not taking a shot against the States, but basically certain countries like Australia, Canada, they this thing this happens and then there's a there's a huge shift and change in terms of uh, the government regulations in terms of like gun control <laughs> the basic sense but in the states it seems to be worse like you see if you figure yeah. Columbine would would basically okay let's not make this like let's not this make this happen again and then it's just worse and worse it gets worse and worse and worse correct and then even um after Sandy Hook you know now we're looking at 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 you know, first graders. So it's like yeah. one of the things one of my other producers said is which which kid is it that matters? Which one is it that's gonna die that will make people change? Because right now, you know, I in my film I made it preschoolers. Like how young are we gonna go? Does it matter now? Like they're complete innocence. But uh again, it's just the 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 gun lobbies seem to be too strong and certain political parties get their money from them. So things aren't changing. But yeah, like not. I'm not trying to be a jerk by saying this, but basically, perhaps a uh, Washington D.C. private school where a lot of politicians' kids are there, right? So <laughs> it's like exactly. Actually, I have a feature I'm working on about that. <laughs> okay, so yeah, no, I didn't mean to be light. I just, I, I think, yeah, that but yeah, it, it it does bring that to mind. Is like, what is it when it's your kid? Is then is it going to matter because they seem so removed from it at at the at the moment? At least the people that are making the decisions. Well, there's lobbyists. It's it's yeah. a whole thing. Yeah. I, your film's not about that, but of course, it's the it's the elephant in the room, right? It's what, sure. It's what yeah. we're we're thinking about, especially in the ending where we're. I, it's, let's talk about the film making of the film because you kind of like there's something happening, but then you kind of let it you don't really let the audience in on it until the end, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely wanted the audience to be on the journey with Hannah that we don't know at the beginning that she doesn't remember, but we start getting these snippets. We start seeing something's wrong. She's having panic attacks. We don't know quite what it is. I threw in a couple little red herrings and then uh, I wanted the audience to, to have that reveal with her. So when she's remembering, they're seeing it for the first time. And I also want to be, very sensitive to not actually show a class shooting. Like I, I didn't want to put that on film. That's not what it's about, but um, just her memories leading up to that point. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, you kind of like show the, this, the kids, I guess, right. The, the, we, yeah. We, we see the memory of the kids and hanging out with them and hearing the shots, but yeah, not seeing it, you know, seeing it play out entirely. And so this person, this this character, uh, there's been a lot many kind of cases where the like something like this happens. Survivors Guild, this person, a lot of people die. They survive. They kind of go in seclusion. They kind of like mm -hmm. like live in their own little world. They don't really want their family around. And but this character's like is 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 like this character's different. This character's like try is like their family's with them, and then you can tell that their family is 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 feeling her. I don't know what, how would you describe it, but like her energy, I guess, right. That they're like, they're, they're feeling what she's feeling, I guess. Right. Yeah. They're starting to understand. I, I think 
what I was trying to convey is that, um, she, you know, and that's why it's called everything's fine. And especially women have a tendency to just blow things off and say, everything's fine. I'm fine. And they just try and power through things. And she's been doing that for a year. And now, you know, as the anniversary is getting closer, like, you know, if you come up to an, a traumatic event in your life, as, as that gets closer to that anniversary, like the cracks start to show and her wife especially has been seeing it. And now that she's back with her parents, which should be the safest place in the world, but it's also where it happened. It's the town where it happened. So everything's sort of imploding in her world. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where like, it's almost like a, like a, when something trauma happens to someone you love, it's like, how do you bring that up? Right. So it's right. like you, it's like, it's there. It's all, everything. You know what I mean? Like it's someone who's like, say someone close to you dies or parent dies or their close one dies. It's like, it's like, you want to be there for them, but you don't want to bring it up at the same time, I guess, right? Correct. Yeah. And you never know quite how to act. I mean, we've all been yeah. in those situations where, yeah, somebody's been through something. I'm like, do I bring it up? Do I just try and make them laugh? Do I try and, you know, which is um, her wife's kind of role in this is to, the one that's kind of cracking little jokes here and there to try and lighten the mood and be like, maybe this will help. And no one really knows how to deal with it because nobody really talks about it that much. And uh uh, that's why people keep suffering. That's why a, a lot of survivors are go through depression. There's a lot of suicide among survivors uh, because yeah. yeah, they don't know how to talk about it and the people around them don't know how to talk about it. There's also a lot of breakups in relationships. Yeah, uh, I say a lot of, um, I was doing this firstly as a proof of concept for a feature and I was going to parallel the two lives of um, the father of one of the victims, Peter Malley and Hannah and how his marriage is, broken up over this and he becomes obsessed with knowing what his son's last moments were and he wants to know everything and she wants to forget everything and he's like coming after her to get information because she's the sole survivor and she's like wants nothing to do with him or knowing what happened because of her fear of how she may have acted in that situation since she has that's no a good that's a good so you have that script written like the feature it's not written yet no i have it outlined and but i wanted to look at that parallel of no, it, it, it's because yeah. it's it's interesting about like how people uh, deal with that because it's it's either you run away or you you try to get to the close to the sun, I guess, right? There's like yeah. two things. It's interesting because I I worked with um, Manuel Oliver who lost his son in Parkland, lost his son Joaquin, and um, uh, I showed him an early um, version of the script and he gave me some advice from a father's standpoint on Peter, like this is not how I would react, like Manny. Um, has become such an advocate for gun legislation and um that's where his anger and and energy goes now is like yeah. trying to change things so this doesn't happen again but there are those people that you know i've spoken to other parents as well who they shut down and they don't want to talk about it um so i i think it would be interesting to uh to examine both sides of that yeah no i i don't i can't remember it's I, i'm trying to remember the, the gentleman's name but he's they their son i remember the, there's a situation where this their son gets gets kidnapped or whatever and he's never found and then they mm -hmm. they they create this organization to help make sure it doesn't happen again or it's like it's the same thing with like death or like someone dies of a rare disease it's like the the loved ones kind of like kind of like push that the fun you know what i mean it's like that's yeah correct it becomes to... the new life goal of like oh i'll find a cure for that cancer now because yeah. that's how mom died it becomes uh you know a passion and an obsession with you know other family members or someone who's been through it like some people it becomes their life vocation after that and other people and that's how they find peace like i'm doing something i'm doing something and others don't want to they want to forget they want to move on they want to 
yeah you know find a different way yeah so no it's really no like i said it's like an interesting it's an interesting film because you have like the, like you said you have the parents you have the the relationship that 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 occurs and then what she's kind of like what but it's like but we don't as the audience the audience is like what and then there's the there's that emotional payoff so from a storytelling standpoint you kind of like you keep the audience entertained and interested but we don't know what the payoff is and then then you deliver it i guess in the end yeah so where did you find your uh act, your your actor your main actress Oh, uh, well, again, we known each other. I met her uh, 10 years ago. I saw her in a play. I was working there's I was working out of school. And I saw her in a play and she was just, uh, you know, I, I would see probably 50 plays a year there. And one of those ones that just stood out. I'm like, OK, she's going to go places. And then I ran into her like in 2019 at a film festival and got chatting. And then COVID happened and we were like emailing and things like that. Um, so, yeah, we just kind of started a dialogue and she was reading some of my other scripts and we decided to do a project together. So that's how Charlotte got involved. And then uh, my other actors, my fabulous, I had a fabulous, um, one of my greatest, dearest friends, Stacey Witt, who sadly passed away just after we shot this, but um, she brought in McKenna and uh, Michelle Clooney. I'd worked with years and years before and knew her. So I'd asked her to join and then uh, Rick Otto and, uh, Chopper Burnett came through our um, cinematographer. Actually, she had just done a project with them and uh, asked them to come on board. So tell me about your relationship with the, your cinematographer. Like, do you, how did you, how do you prepare for your film? Do you like storyboard everything? Like this is very actor, actor or performance centric. I'm just curious how, what kind of freedom you give the actors and how much you prepare. Yeah, we, we, we did. Um, uh, we did storyboard it. Um, we went, you know, built a shot list. Um, we went out on location, you know, uh, looked at the locations. How are we going to shoot this? Uh, especially for like the uh, <clears throat> drone shots. Like she mapped that out. <laughs> it was like, okay, that's going to do this. It's going to rise like this. It's going to turn that way. Uh, uh, but, and we, and I had already had, you know, kind of a lookbook together. So tonally how I wanted it to look. Um, and she had a lot of, cause she's a great uh, cinematographer, had a great, ideas on shots especially when we got to the locations of like shooting through the banister and following her in and that kind of stuff yeah because you do have like there there are some very subtle camera movements you have yeah. in, the, in the film right so mm -hmm. very strategic and i wanted to strangely i don't know if it was a good idea or not but i wanted her on a gimbal the whole time because i wanted especially i wanted the actors to ad lib and they do in some spots some some spots they really stuck to the script but other spots like especially that bedroom kind of where she breaks down fight scene we blocked it. We had a rehearsal the day before to kind of block where the camera's going to be and how I want you to move. But, you know, just stay within this space so that you stay in focus. And, uh, uh, but I wanted them to have the freedom to, you know, sit yeah. down, jump up, whatever they needed to do. So she stayed on gimbal so she could be really fluid, but she stayed on gimbal for pretty much the whole film so that she could, you know, depending who was pulling the focus in that scene, she could be on them. Gotcha. No, that's interesting. And then I guess in, in editing, you had you can you hopefully had enough coverage. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and we got together. lucky. I mean, there's a couple where it's like, uh, you know, maybe it's not the best shot here, or maybe it's not the best performance. But yeah. Yeah, because you, you got to match everything up, I guess, right? Yeah, you do. But I mean, again, that's the that's the importance of plotting it out fairly well. It's like we made sure, and I had a great great script as well. It's like, okay, do we have all the shots? Do we get coverage on everybody? So we did, you know, we had it mapped out pretty well so that we could do 
I don't think we did more than four or five takes on anything, but um, just to make sure we had that. So the, the the scene in the bedroom that you're referencing, uh, which is the kind of the key scene in the film, there's she she she's cut herself, so she takes off her shirt, and then you show the the gunshot right in the back. Correct. I'm assuming she she didn't get she had the the actress wasn't shot, so you had to do a make you had to do makeup. Yeah. Again, my my dear friend Stacy Witt is a uh, was a fabulous fake up makeup artist uh, working on a lot of um, network and streaming television shows. And um, so she brought, not only did she produce it, but she, uh, she did that makeup effect for us. Yeah. I question when I'm watching the film, I'm questioning, why does she go like to the, to her parents' house? It's like, I did. It's like, I understand you kind of, maybe it's good there. I don't know. Maybe it's good therapy. Maybe it's bad therapy. It was just like, it's just like an interesting thing that, that she did. Like, yeah. And it's like, I felt like it's often, um, often you do things because you think you should. Yeah. And it's probably the parents probably, you know, and she has kind of the, the little pushier mom that's saying like, you should be here. You should be with family, you know, and even on the car ride there, the opening scene where the wife's saying, we don't have to do this. We could go yeah. elsewhere. We don't have to go there. And she's like, no, it's fine. Like, it's almost like, you know, it'll be worse if I don't go because then everybody will be really worried and trying to talk to me and call me and yeah you know well you have that crane shot in the in the beginning of the film when they drive into the into the suburbia and it's just like it's you kind of showing that this is average America suburbia sub, suburban right. kind of like it's like it's like everybody's kind of privileged and good and when it, you know what I mean like it but it's like why you figure of all the places in, in America, like this is, this is happening there. That's sort of, I don't yeah. know if that was conscious or unconscious on your part. Yeah. There were a couple points I was trying to make with that shot. First, I wanted to show, that's why we start low and come up on the cliffs. I want to show sort of the precariousness. So when we see the run at the end that, oh, there's danger here. There they are, there are high cliffs here. Yeah. And then, yes, I wanted to show this is a, a fairly affluent or at least upper middle class, yeah. um, you know, any town USA community. And yes, it can happen here, and it does happen here. And so, what was what was the thematic of the the running? She runs in the end and kind of goes to the is it the ocean? Yeah, she's running toward that cliff yeah. at the end, and I wanted people to at least feel the tension of she's not paying attention because she's trapped in her memory at that point, and that she could go right over, she could decide to purposely go right over, or not stop in time, or you know, but the final memory comes, which at least grants her some relief stops at that edge of the cliff, you know, and then um, and it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if it came through or not. I, I had somebody say they got it, but I was like, I also changed the costuming there. I put her in white. We had this beautiful, perfect day, which if you ever need a perfect day, shoot in winter at the beach. Cause we actually shot Oh, it's This time last year, almost exactly. We finished shooting on the 14th of November mm. and, um, beautiful weather i wanted it to be almost ethereal at the end of lifting out of this sort of darker place we've been and then then i guess what's like so what the uh, what like what was your attention in the end like she's obviously she doesn't she's not <laughs> gonna die she's not she's no. like but she needs to she needs therapy she needs to yeah she needs to get well she's gotten to the memory now but yeah she needs she needs yeah. Uh, help but at the end there's that little slight move where she's been pulling away from Paige the whole time um, not wanting Paige to touch her all this stuff and at the very end Hannah reaches out and takes Paige Paige's hand so what I'm trying to convey there is like you know now she's in a place where she can accept some help and start 
hopefully that would be the beginning of her journey to heal. Yeah. She's got, she's got people, right? Yeah. She's got people. She's got the support. And now, you know, she, she doesn't think, well, she knows she hasn't, you know, her worst fear was that she might, because the bullets were in her back and she has no memory. Her worst fear was that she ran, that she left the children. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as again, this could easily be done with a forensic report, but she wouldn't look at that because she doesn't want to know anything because it'd be worse to know. So like in the future, I was, that would be more of a, something that played out of like, we can know this information and she just yeah. doesn't want to know anything about it. Because what if you did, like, what if it was the worst? What if you had run, you know, but in, in this version, she, she realizes she didn't and actually tried to protect one that she could. And, uh, but that's another point I was making um, with the bullets, why the scar is so much bigger on her stomach, the exit wound, because that's how an AR-15 works. And most people don't survive them because it'll go in at like seven millimeters, but it explodes out and it takes most of the organs with it because the, the air compression of, from the velocity is so high. So gotcha. people question like, why did the boy die? I'm like, it would have gone right through her into him. And then you show uh, Manuel at the end like, during the credits, right? right. Uh, did you reference him? The, his son died in the Parkland. Uh, mm -hmm. in yeah, he was very gracious to do that little um, moment for us. He was actually supposed to be in the film, in the memorial scene. But the weekend we ended up shooting that uh, it was actually the nationwide memorial in Washington for the victims of gun violence. So he was at that and couldn't get to us. So since he was there, I called him and I said, could you, could you stand in front of the Capitol and like, we'll do a little thing at the end because I yeah. do like, involved. no, that's great. And like, that, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's the sub, that's the subtext of the film. That's what, right. what do you think? Like, I, I, I just, cause I have, well, I have you, what do you think? You think this will ever get better? Like, I, I just, I don't see, I'm trying not to try, I'm trying to be optimistic, but I you just don't it's, see it. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Um, unless, uh, you know, we have a real change in, in some of the governance of this country. I don't think it is going to change right now. Or if they, you know, if the laws change and people can actually be suing gun companies and things like that. But until we get those off the street, you know, the way Australia did, like they no longer have a problem. This is yeah. fixable. They had, um, one, they had one big shooting and then they rounded all the guns up. Yeah. And well, it's like they here, didn't have the Second one... Amendment. They didn't have 30, 300 million. Right. People, right. Yeah. Like one, uh, like we had the moment here with the the shoe bomber on the airplane. The moment that happened once, now we all take our shoes off before we get on a plane and get them scanned. So it's like, okay, that one thing that didn't even happen but was scary, and we change everything. But uh, apparently, uh, yeah, the the profit is more important than people right now in this country, which is unfortunate. I mean, not yeah, well, one hundred percent. It's it's yeah. a lot. There's about like gun companies are making money but but yeah. basically it's also the this this the american ideology right like we're true i mean and it, and again i think the misreading of the second amendment i'm like yeah we you're not in a militia why do you need it you know here's yeah. for the second amendment to apply you need to be part of a militia and we had that because that was before our armies were formed to protect our nation yeah. but it's about the, the democracy that they have the right to defend themselves and they can if they if they need to they can overthrow democracy they could overthrow right. the overthrow which, the government like good luck against the tanks and the missiles with your yeah, you gotta remember, it basically almost happened a couple of years ago. I'm not I mean, are they going to start allowing that? I'm like, can, you know, yeah. Joe Blow in Texas go get himself a, a nuclear warhead? Because that's the only way he's going to defend himself against the United States Army if it's coming down on him. Yeah. Like, but you know what I'm saying? Logic. Like, it's, 
it, it got pretty close a couple of years ago. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's just you know, and they 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 you know use this logic fallacy to try and get what they want, and it's yeah, it's like this isn't this doesn't equate, and like if you want to keep it, and you say you're constitutional, you know, you're going by the constitution, the great hand everyone their muskets and call it good, but. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm Canadian, so I have a and I, I I have to I have to admit I lived in the United States. I went to school there, so I'm 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 from Niagara Falls, so I'm as a border mm-hmm. kid. So I have perspective, and, and now you can call me half American too. But I I honestly think that in the next five years, like it's the the country, it's like almost like a fork in a road. It's going to go down one road or the other road. That's very I think true. If it goes down a certain road. I think that this things could change for the better. I think that yeah. I think, most yeah, of I think it's going to be a very control. decisive election coming up. That, yeah, that's what yeah, I'm if saying. We, yeah. if, we, if we go down one way, I think that's sort of the end of democracy as we know it and the end of the United States as we know it. Maybe I'm overblowing it, but um, and I'll give a little of my past. I used to work on the Impreta, so I know that person that's running. I've met him. I've worked with him, and I know how bad it is. But, uh, yeah. Well, I can't let just, you go with, with after that. Like, So do you want to share what? <laughs> I mean, just... I'll just say all the awful things you think he may have said or done are absolutely true. It's just, uh, you know, and it just doesn't seem to matter to his supporters anyway. He's misogynist, no. racist, no. you know, just as much as you could believe. I'm not going to get way into it, but yeah. And not, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's not a bright man either. He's, he's. Well, he, he did something. To... He did something bright. He convinced a lot of people to uh, vote for him, which he and he. Well, yeah, he 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 played on their yeah their hatred, and he's allowing that to come out, and uh, which in a way is good. Like we can see kind of where some of the scary people are. It's like, but yeah, it's become a a, a much scarier place for a lot of people in this country because uh, there's so much hate and vitriol out there. Yeah, it wasn't just him too. Like obviously, Roger. I believe that Roger Ailes helped him an awful lot oh yeah I and mean, he's got a people surrounding him like i yeah. said he's not a bright man he's the people surrounding him are running this he's a good puppet Dang, a dang, well yeah a dangerous one yeah but so a dangerous um, good puppet <laughs> he will repeat what you tell him to say <laughs> but, yeah he well he does that yeah and basically he does that like uh like he's got a certain kind of uh bravado that people yeah, seem to yeah. be attracted to no because i remember when he did the reality show and i worked in the industry and i knew a lot of the camera operators who worked on that show and uh they basically were saying that like they liked him because he was because he was always like helping them out because they were shooting him. So he it was shooting his vanity, but they were saying that like, it was like, they were, they were scripting the the courtroom scenes. They were oh, yeah. like, he wasn't, he wasn't coming up with these lines. No, these no, right? not so, at all. There was teleprompt for him. In fact, I, that was one of my jobs was to hide it in the boardroom. Uh, we used like a little, um, yeah. you know, little, ca- little uh, monitor, like a clamshell monitor. And uh, he was being fed everything. Yeah, and then, awesome. and then and then they actually like I remember when I lived I went to school there I remember living in 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 that Trump Towers wasn't like it looked like a like, didn't look great and I guess they they, yeah. they totally like the the studio the, the 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 production company they kind of like revamped it right so yeah they, yeah they, they yeah, totally they was, redid it yeah so it was just yeah they they but they set up a monster right so it was like a, it was like Correct. a lot of moving yeah 
And I got nervous now because it's like that came out of the last writer's strike, right? Because there wasn't enough content. His show had not been greenlit originally. It wasn't going to go, but then they didn't have content, but they could shoot reality. So that's how that show got greenlit the first time. And it's like, and that's what created it. So I got very nervous during the last writer's strike. It was like, oh, oh. gotcha. Because the, the, because of, yeah, I remember 2008, they basically started doing reality shows because they yeah, need they content could. and reality shows don't have union members. Right. So, Correct. yeah. So like, like Mir- I remember Mir- there's American Gladiators uh, documentary on Netflix. They talk about that. We're like, right. the only reason the show was created again is because they needed content. Right. So they needed, right. like, yeah. And like I said, yeah, I guess that the apprentice show had been pitched around and nobody wanted it. And then suddenly it's like, Oh, we don't have content. Okay. I guess we'll make this. Yeah. So. And people loved it. People loved that kind yeah. of, that kind of bravado, that kind of it sass. Did, yeah. It did. Yeah feed into sort of the American dream too of like, Oh, you can be rich. Like I, you know, you know, and it's all, it's all a lie. Like it's none of it's real. He doesn't have the money he says he has. And, you know. Yeah. Well, his, and his dad made him like, he basically, he started on third base, like his dad gave yeah. him tons of money. Right. Yeah. So, he didn't, he didn't, he's not a self-made man at all. And he got lucky with the, the New York real estate market where it kind of exploded in the, in the two thousands. And, um, he just had, he just happened to have land and then yeah. it exploded. Right. So you made a lot of money that way. So, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's, that's like a lot of, that's what life is though. Like life is a lot of kind of randomness and kind of like happenstance. Like even the way he was elected, it was like, she, she's, they totally blew that election as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, and that's part of it too. Right. Like it's not, it's, there's so many different right. moving parts, but exactly. Yeah. And a lot of people can argue that the Americans got what they they deserve, right? So, but I don't know if that's true or not. But I mean, I was really hoping Americans would learn from it, but it looks like they're going right back there again. Well, we'll <laughs> see. Like, I mean, we'll see. Well, you know, year out, but um, boy, I hope not. Yeah. Well, you're seeing patterns that that uh, that basically, like even the last election a couple of weeks ago, that even the midterms usually the the the, 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 the who's ever in power gets wiped out in the in the first midterm and they right. the democrats kind of basically won that that mid yeah. that midterm right so you're seeing the patterns it's just that hopefully they have the right guy uh, going against them so yeah who happens to be the president so right <laughs> so so sorry i didn't mean yeah. to take you down the weeds there you just kind of that's like, all right that's all right through. yeah i know everyone when everybody when anybody ever hears that I worked on that show, they all want to know. What did you do? What was your job was on that show? I, I was the art coordinator on it. So I was Okay. Oh, so you're right. you're basically like set up the boardroom and everything, right? So Well, I mean, yeah, I was working with the art team doing that and yeah. yeah. But uh So so now you're my second source because I got sourced from the camera guys. And now I have <laughs> the source you from you, which is which is obviously interviewed, so you've been documented. So so now <laughs> I got two I got two key sources who say the same thing. So I guess it's true. Yeah. And it's like, I didn't have a lot of interaction with them, but I did have some and I did see stuff. And I was just like, man, if they released the tape that's on all those lipstick cams, again, it wouldn't matter to his supporters at all. But maybe in the prior election, if that had been public, I don't think it would have mattered to tell you. It probably wouldn't have. That wave was coming. And and whether it was him or someone else, that wave was still coming. But yeah, he, you got to remember, he, he basically was, he was recorded on camera saying he grabbed a certain right. member a certain member of a woman's body parts and i think 50 percent of the one female base in the united states voted for him after yeah. that comment so yeah. i think that he he was going to be okay if yeah. it almost get, it made him more popular right so yeah yeah kind of like i said it started feeding into this frenzy of um yeah it's, I, don't, I don't know where it's coming from really but of 
anger. It's the, it's the white lash. It's the, yeah. my, my, my perspective is that, is that I'm, I'm a generation X white male. And basically I was brought up in a privileged environment and it was almost like, you're going to be okay. Like you're, you're taught that you're going to be great. Everything's going to be fine. You can just, just go through school, just pass, you'll be okay. Just, you know what I mean? And then you'll, we'll give you a good job when you're, when you, when you graduate, everything's going to be fine with you because you're, you're a nice white boy and everything was great. And then, so what happened was that in the 2000s come along and on the first generation of that, we're like, it wasn't like all these factories started closing down. Right. It wasn't easy. You weren't getting great jobs. Yeah. 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 Well, there's a sort of earn your way where jobs now. And then basically yeah. and then obviously like Asians and blacks and Latinos were getting jobs now. And it was like a perfect storm of like the white male is not uh, is not privileged anymore. So then where does that base go? It's like they're pissed off at the world. And then that's what they like so, and D- Donald Trump, because he's telling them that America first, we're not going to give you, we're going to give you jobs, blah, 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 blah. We're going to take care of you. And that's what it was. And then he basically got elected through that anger of the the shift in the, the economy. Right. So. Right. That's my two cents. That's what I, that's what I, <laughs> I saw that as my, from my perspective, I saw even colleagues and like, like just like a little bit of a, a scent of that, right. Like that yeah. kind of feeling. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for we that. We kind of went off it. the rails here. So I hope you're It's a good conversation. It's, it's just like, it's interesting because it's like what you're talking about. Your but film, it is, so. it is leading to this world that we, you know, live in right now where uh, the violence is so prevalent and it's not changing because certain people are just kind of, they want their guns. They enjoy yeah. it. It helps them in their way. So. That's exactly it. Yeah. It makes them feel better about themselves. Makes it's, them feel stronger or safer or whatever it is. I love, I've done work in Texas and uh, and I actually enjoy the state. I do. It's got some beautiful things, but walking into a mini mart and seeing a guy with a machine gun is like, uh, uh, you know, Yeah. and that's just, you know, an every day I'm like, okay, how, how, how in- insignificant do you have to feel that you need to carry that to feel better about yourself. But. Yeah. <laughs> it tells you a lot about them. Right. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for the conversation. Fantastic film. It's doing well in the festival circuit. I wish you the ultimate success with it. And uh, yeah, this is definitely, I was talking about this on another podcast. These type of films are, there's definitely a feature market for it. We need to have these stories. So I wish you the best of luck with that. Thanks so much, Matthew. Thank you. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Shlemiel, Shlemazel, Hasenbemp Incorporated.